0: Hello and welcome to Made by Mummers, the podcast. I'm Zoe Hardman, a TV presenter, a radio broadcaster and a mummy to my beautiful 18-month-old daughter, Luna.
2: And I'm Georgia Dayton. I work in marketing for House of Fraser and I am mum to a little cheeky boy, Axel, who's 19 months old.
0: And together we are made by mummers. So Georgia and I met in a coffee shop whilst we were both pregnant and living in Cheltenham at the time, and suddenly we kind of found ourselves moving from London, leaving all of our mates, knowing absolutely nobody up there, and having our babies, and all I can say is thank God that we met that day.
2: Indeed.
0: (laughs) Uh, We spent the next year of motherhood drinking coffee, getting back into shape in the gym, or trying to anyway, (laughs) uh, and getting through the odd bottle of wine as well, and launching our mummy blog, a place for expectant mums, new mummies, or seasoned pros to come and find out all the brands that we were loving products that we can't live without and also for help support love and impartial non-judgmental advice
2: so on this series we'll be chatting to some of our favorite celebrity females about their experiences from being pregnant to the birth and the aftermath we'll have a sleep expert give you all her insider tips on a peaceful night time some much-needed beauty tips and products for quick fixes for the busy mummy baby classes and toys worth investing in how to travel with a little one you name it we will cover it
0: i think it's time to get into it shall we g let's go so this week we are talking about well-being now um we both had a bit of a rough time with illness didn't we with our with our two little ones at the very beginning axel obviously had reflux We did yeah and luna suffered really badly from bronchiolitis and she had seizures as well so it was a it was a very painful first four months
2: we had a few doctors visits between (laughs)
0: us (laughs) i mean we're giggling now but at the time it's it's absolutely frightening you know you you give birth to a baby no one tells you they're going to pick up every single cold under the sun every single illness and you're like
2: What do I do? No, and also, in the lead-up to having a baby, you're just thinking about getting past the birth. You don't then think, once they're here, you're going to face all of these issues... You just think, oh, it's just going to be fine. We might have to give them cowpaw once in a while, but yeah. that's it. You don't think that you're not going to know what they've got wrong with them. Yeah. And that is the worst thing because they can't tell you what's yeah. wrong with them. So they can be screaming and you have no idea what's up.
0: And also with little babies, their temperatures, you know, they can go from at being absolutely fine to completely falling off the cliff. You know, one minute their normal temp and the next minute it's 40 and you're thinking, right, this is it, we're going to A&E.
2: Yeah, exa- I mean, you had a really scary experience with Luna in the first few weeks, didn't you?
0: Yeah, she had bad bronchi. I mean, I thought it was, uh, I've been told by the doctor that it was just her lungs and sinuses waking up and I was like, mm, this isn't right. Um, and then obviously the cough developed and she just she just went downhill and she was in what we were in for three nights. She was in one of those little you know monitors underneath this sort of tent thing getting oxygen and it was really, really scary. Yeah, it's and it scary. You scary. Know, it did take her a long time to kind of f- be fully recovered from the cough. Um, and then we had we had a bad bad episode of seizures as well with her because of temperature rocketing and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, like you said, there was lots of doctor Visits.
2: Yeah and how did you get the doctor to take you seriously because I think a lot of mums say that you know they go to the doctor and they think they're definitely going to get prescribed something because there is something clearly wrong and the doctor just as you said says oh you know they're just little they're just getting used to you know life in the, in the, in the world or <laughs> well, actually then they get them home and they think no I wish I'd stood up for myself yeah. a bit
0: more and really pushed that. I mean I think the thing is it's mother's intuition or par- parental intuition I think you know when you know that your kid is not well you keep going back you hammer down the door until you get the answer
2: you do and I think that comes you know a few weeks on you you do get that confidence that you can say to the doctor do you know what I know you don't think this is anything but it really is because I know my own baby now you know he, he or she's been around for a few weeks I know that they don't do this and th- this needs to be seen to I think you do need that confidence don't you to say and I think any mums listening really do push and trust your intuition
0: yeah and luckily today we don't have to hammer down any doctor's surgery doors because we've got tv doctor dr zoe williams is in the studio with us and she's going to be discussing all things health and well-being should we get into it let's So one of the subjects that comes up a lot um, on our Instagram is wellness and health in babies and mums.
2: Yeah, I mean, we all panic when our baby gets sick and also ourselves as well, so.
0: And also no one tells you how sick your baby is going to get when you (laughs) give birth. They say, you're going to have a baby and then, oh, you've got to deal with all the illness that they're going to get over the next sort of six months. Uh, So that's why we're we're really, really excited to have the absolutely fantastic and brilliant Dr. Zoe Williams, NHS GP and TV doctor on this morning. In the studio with us today. Hello,
3: how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very good. I'm so amazed that you are coping
0: so well. <laughs> Very proud of you, Zozo. She
2: looks amazing, doesn't she? Two she weeks to drop day.
0: Thanks, ladies. Oh. Inside, I'm dying. <laughs> um, Zozo, just tell us a little bit about you, um, your background and what you do. How far do you want me to go back? <laughs> Not too far, because I know the sordid
3: secrets. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I'm an NHS GP working in London um, and I... I actually have nine jobs, I think, at the last count. But luckily, some of them are just sort of half a day a week or even less. Um, So, yep, as you mentioned, I do some TV medic work on ITV this morning. Um, BBC Two, trust me, I'm a doctor. And I've been doing something exciting with ITV that I can't tell you about. And um, BBC Two Horizon as well. So that's really fun and exciting. And then I have my more serious hat on certain days where I work with Public Health England and the Royal College of GPs doing more sort of educational based stuff, inspiring and educating healthcare professionals to be able to talk about physical activity and lifestyle
0: with their patients. That's a big thing for you, isn't it, physical activity? We off, we always have, because you and I are friends, we've known each other yep. for a very long time, yep. we always have conversations about that. It's the dream, you know,
3: as a, as a medic, I believe that physical activity is the wonder drug. If every single person in this country... Was active enough for good health, which isn't
2: much. It's twenty two minutes of brisk walking a day. Then yeah, we can do that, can't we? You do that, G. I do do that. Yeah, I love a bit of walking. <laughs> and do you know what? When I was pregnant, I was walking about eight miles up until I was about thirty six weeks every single day. um Thrill. People used to think I was a complete nutter. My husband's friends would see me pacing the streets of Cheltenham like, "Oh my gosh, there's your there's your wife. What's she doing? <laughs> <laughs> She's about ten miles from home. How does she get there? <laughs> the reason she did that
0: though is because she thought that would bring on her labor. But quicker I'd just like to sort of put that in there
3: Yeah, all these myths about things that will bring on (laughs) your labour quicker. I don't think any of them have actually been proven with science. But, you know, we all love a bit of pineapple and curry, don't we?
2: We do. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: Let's talk about um, uh, wellness during pregnancy. It's very, very hard. I think you can probably hear from my voice that I'm I'm going through it at the moment. I've got a throat infection. I've got this horrible cough. I'm feeling really rubbish because all of my immunity is going to baby. What should I be doing to keep myself well? Do you know what? It's
3: such an individual thing, isn't it? Wellness, what we what we need to do for ourselves. And I think actually, women who are pregnant are generally more motivated to take good care of themselves than they ever have been at any other time. I mean, to see you without a glass of champagne in your (laughs) hands, though. But I think it varies, and I think you really have to listen to your body when you're pregnant because your body will tell you. Essentially, you have a baby growing inside you. And that baby, it sounds awful, but it really is a big parasite and it is mm. draining all of your energy. It is taking all of the goodness, and you have to do what you can to keep yourself fit and healthy. I think often doctors and healthcare professionals were very good at telling pregnant women what they shouldn't do. You know, don't eat raw meat, don't do this, don't do that. And I think sometimes, other than folic acid, vitamin D, we're not that good at telling women who are pregnant what they should do and you know making sure that you look after your mental health during pregnancy making sure you still have a social life and do the things that you enjoy and obviously making sure that you're very physically active are all really important
0: yeah um we we obviously through well George has only had one pregnancy yeah. um, <laughs> yes um and we were super active through the first one this second one I've actually struggled to stay active because I've been feeling all these sort of pains and and actually you're right, I've, I've probably been more poorly this pregnancy than I was in my first one but at the moment I'm just, you know, hot lemon and honey's gargling, paracetamol, soluble, all of these things. I mean, that's really what we can do. Yeah, it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because when it comes to medication and pain
3: relief, you're so scared of doing any harm to baby that you're quite limited in what what you can take. You can see your doctor, obviously, and we will prescribe other medications. It's all about balancing the risks versus the benefits. And I I think, yeah, I think the biggest advice when it comes to wellness is listen to your body. So like you were saying, Zoe, in your first pregnancy you were super active and that was fine. Whereas now you're having aches, you're having pains. Listen to that, you know, don't push through it. If your body's sore, don't do things that are going to make it more sore. Just work within what your body's allowing you to do.
2: Mm-hmm. You briefly just touched on folic acid and vitamin D. So what else should, you know, we be taking? Not we, because I'm not pregnant, but, you know, <laughs> as a pregnant person, what should we be taking? So the only supplements
3: that you absolutely have to take are, are folic acid and vitamin D. Um Why is that though? Just because the folic well, the folic acid is mostly important in early pregnancy. It helps with the neural development of the baby. So people are sort of aware of spina bifida. But neural development generally requires Folic acid. It may be most of us, if we have a good diet, aren't deficient in it anyway, and don't need to take it. But it's just, it's just not worth the risk of, of potentially being deficient. And then vitamin D. Vitamin D is really important. We get it from the sun. We live in the UK.
2: We just <laughs> don't get enough. sun. Of it. Yes. <laughs> say no more.
3: <laughs> so, so many of us are deficient in vitamin D, particularly if you're somebody who covers up or you have dark skin. Then almost inevitably you will be deficient. And again, it's really important for development for your health. And,
0: and baby's health and that's why the midwives always kind of hammer home to us that we need to be taking our pregnant care max or our supplements yeah and also and actually my midwife said this to me the other day that i need to be taking them during breastfeeding as well
3: yeah 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 so you should, should continue during breastfeeding um you're just making sure that you're getting the optimal nutrition and you know i know you have a very healthy diet so you probably don't need it but it's not going to do any harm, and I think that period of your life when you're pregnant and breastfeeding, you know, you're willing to just go to any length, aren't you, to mm. to get the best for yourself and for your baby? And I think, yeah, you mentioned pregnant care, pregnant care max, and all the the vitamin supple- supplements that are designed for pregnancy. You know, if you can afford them, you know you can't go wrong. You know you're going to get the right stuff and you're not going to get anything harmful because there are some vitamins that you shouldn't take supplements of in pregnancy, such as vitamin A. Too much vitamin A can be harmful for baby. Right. Yeah, okay. I heard that. And why is that, so? It can cause what we call what's the term now polydactyly right. so additional fingers and additional toes right um, amongst other things but that's the thing that kind of swings back to my mind from medical school that too much vitamin A can cause polydactyly and that's why you shouldn't eat liver because there's a lot of vitamin ah, A yes. I was
2: gonna say is it in any food so just liver it's in liver so then liver there's pate, and pate off, <laughs> off the menu that so is
3: what? pate off the menu unless you have a mushroom pate <laughs> very good I believe <laughs>
2: so what other foods um should pregnant people be avoiding
3: so there's a concern about mercury as well so mercury you know unfortunately unless you're getting your own fish in your local river then um a lot of the fish that are caught out in the ocean are quite high high levels of mercury so it's important to have fish to have oily fish but tinned fish in particular and certain fish such as swordfish tuna and what's the other one that's a bit like those two (laughs) <laughs> There's nothing similar. Shock. Shock. Shark. Shark. Um, maybe high in mercury that can cause damage to baby. Any foods that aren't fully cooked through, so you should
2: have your steak well done. Um, oh, that was a killer for me. Because you love a rare steak, oh, don't you, G? I just don't see the point in eating it. It's like eating cardboard if you have it well done. Oh, I'll take steak any which way, but I'd rather <laughs> have <the> a <laughs> medium wrap. <rare. laughs> um, and then certain
3: cheeses, unpasteurized cheeses. And really, all those foods. It's just because it's not because the food itself is harmful in pregnancy it's just because there's a slightly higher risk that that food's going to be contaminated because it hasn't been cooked or pasteurised. If there are any bacteria living in there, and and you just can't afford to risk having a bacterial gastroenteritis whilst you're pregnant. Although say that to our friends over the river, over the sea in France, you, I think most French women will be sat down eating their brie and camembert, <laughs> yeah.
2: having a glass
0: of red wine. And
2: so obviously sushi's off the menu then, is it? Just
0: about to say that because it's my oh, <laughs> it's my f- f- it's my favourite food. And um, there are definitely certain sushis, which I now, you know, certain bits of sushi that I just walk away from now.
3: Do you know what? It's all about assessing risk. And there will be some women out there who are pregnant who are not going to give up their sushi. And it's just about assessing that risk. If you're going to Nobu and you're having a bit of raw tuna, the chances you're going to get an infection from that. Are pretty slim. Mm-hmm. Um equally if you're having sushi and you have, you know, the cooked tuna or the ones with avocado, the ones that don't have raw fish in them. Yeah. So you go into boots and get in those sort of other end of the scale, you'd be alright as well. But if you're having any food that is not fully cooked or pasteurized, then there is an increased risk of infection. And that's okay. the reason why.
2: Okay. So you need to go for a snazzy Japanese then. <laughs> if you're gonna have to <laughs> if you're
3: gonna go, if you're gonna
0: go for sushi, go Go for the best. Doctor's orders. So then we deliver baby you know overwhelming amazing moment of having this baby in your arms not and then for everyone Zoe not for everybody <laughs> but you know in an ideal scenario that's yep. what happens no no yeah. no absolutely not and I know lots of people that didn't get that overwhelming kind of rush of love but you have your baby and then you spend the next few weeks kind of getting your head around it and then baby gets sick yes it's a nightmare when that <laughs> happens scary because mm. nobody tells you how frightening it is when your baby gets ill Do you know what, and I have to at this
3: point say that I'm not a mother, I've never been pregnant, I don't have any children, so there are certain parts of this conversation that you girls know so much more about than me, but I think as a GP I do have sort of um, almost a pair of glasses on where I do get to really see into people's lives when they share things with me, Um, and yeah... I can only imagine you're fully responsible for this little human being that you feel this overwhelming love for that you never even knew you could feel. Then all of a sudden that child is suffering and Mm. you just, you must freak out. It must be awful.
2: Yeah, of course you do. I think I went to the doctor where we lived in Cheltenham about six times in the first few weeks um, because I just couldn't ask enough and I didn't have any experience. And you do, like every little niggle, you're like, oh, this might be this or you Google. That's obviously a bad thing to do.
3: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'll let you into secret, (laughs) and if there are any of my patients uh, listening, then they'll be thinking, oh, that's why she did that. When, you know, I see young mums very frequently in my clinic particularly if it's first baby and it is just all those little complaints and I think if you're a first-time mum and you're worried and you're not sure just go to the GP and get it checked out coughs and colds we see them Mm. all day long Mm. and um, I had a baby yesterday 18 weeks oh so cute So, so my little thing that I do is as soon as mum comes through the door unless baby's asleep, I'll say, oh, do you mind if I hold baby? Because I'll start assessing the baby from that moment, just how they feel, if they feel floppy, how they're engaging with me. So you are starting to pick up things just from holding them. Plus it almost me mean, also means that for those five minutes we're having a chat when inevitably, you know, I just my job is to just give reassurance. Mm. I get some baby cuddles. Uh, you want those baby cuddles,
0: that's what it's all about. Um so bronchiolitis is something that comes up a lot with us. Um I'm not sure about Axel. He has he ever had it? No, he hasn't. But okay. I know obviously Luna had it quite badly. Yeah, Luna was in hospital with it at seven weeks old. Yeah. She spent three nights in there. She was under a little incubator. It Aww. was terrifying. I mean really, really frightening. And I know a lot of our um our followers on Instagram have been through that so bronchiolitis it seems like you can't avoid it as a baby well (laughs) what is it exactly
3: it's a virus it's caused by a virus it's caused by a virus that in you or I might cause just the common cold it's called um, respiratory syncytial virus Um, and one in three babies get it yes
2: it's really common Mm.
3: so it is really common and most babies that get it will be fine with it um and the the reason it affects babies differently is that um the way that the I don't want to go into an anatomy lesson about the lungs, but you've got two lungs, you've got the big tube that goes into each lung and then they split split off into small tubes called bronchioles. So they're the tiny little airways. And in babies, the virus affects those airways. Mm -hmm. So it makes it really difficult for them to get the gases across the lungs because there's fluid in there. So in you or I, we would handle it quite well and we just have a cold. But in a small baby, it can make them really unwell. Um, but like I say, most babies will cope with it fine. Bit of a fever, cough, runny nose, general cold symptoms. But but why I always say to mums, mums say, you know, at what point should I bring the baby to yes. see you? At what point do I go to A&E? And if a, baby, if a young baby has a fever, we want to see them. If in any way you think that their breathing is, they're struggling with their breathing, we want to see them. But as much as anything, a mum's intuition or a dad's intuition mm. is usually on point and if you just have the slightest concern you're worried and you have a baby that's under 12 months old no doctor is ever going to be annoyed with you. Yeah, well, that's good. Over. That is
2: good to hear because I think a lot of people are scared. They don't want to waste the doctor's time, like mm-hmm. bringing their, their child in with a cough or a cold. But I guess you know we do know as mums when we need to seek some you know medical advice mm. rather than just trying to cope with it at home.
3: Yeah, you do. I think you just know as a mum, you have that intuition. You think she's just not herself. He's just not himself. Yeah. I'm not happy.
2: Or oh, I think when you can't get the fever down, you
0: know, with cowpole and if you're doing cowpole, brufen mm. and that's not having any effect you know for me it was luna being so limp i just she just suddenly yeah. was going limp and she was vomiting and she was choking on her phlegm and you know I, I, it's an awful thing to say but i was just like i i just i thought she was gonna die it yeah. was the scariest moment at hands down the scariest moment of my life and we you know we went straight into the hospital yeah. and they took us straight in and it was the best thing that we could have done because she was fine and she about they about the minute they start going downhill you, you rock bottom they then straight back up don't yeah. they they bounce back quickly but but that's the thing with small babies they they can
3: deteriorate so quickly mm, mm. so you know you did absolutely the right thing because you acted on your intuition mm. and, and, and that's what I mean I think that's the, the drive home point is that if you have a young baby no doctor is ever going to be annoyed and think that actually you're wasting our time if you're genuinely concerned then that is reason enough to, to get them checked out
2: hmm. now another um, another one that comes up on our Instagram quite a lot is colic Mm. so we don't really know what colic is I guess like Zoe and I don't really know we've heard it's just babies crying and is that just what it is and is there any reason for it or you know what what should we be doing about it
3: do you know what? it's a really good question and um, and it's a tricky one colic because it is one of these the baby's not in any harm we're not worried we're not concerned But obviously the baby's in discomfort and the, you know, more and more babies are now getting diagnosed with things like reflux and um, intolerances and, um, and I think a lot of the time it is just colic and it's one of those awful conditions that you kind of can't do that much about except just comfort your baby.
0: Yeah, it's 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 one of the ones I struggle with actually when
3: patients come in and see me because I think usually what I would say is you are doing all the right things, baby's gaining weight, baby's taking feeds, baby's got this colic, you're not sleeping, they're not sleeping, everyone's a bit miserable but... You'll yeah. get through it. You'll, you'll get through it. There <laughs> is light like at the end of the tunnel. It will you know not last what? forever.
2: We used to have one hour every night where Axel would cry solidly for that hour for a few weeks. It was like five till six. And we used to call it the witching hour. Yeah, the witching we used hour. to be like, it's coming, it's coming. And then we used to like sing and dance around the room and everything just to, you know, let it go by. And then it was all fine. Um, but yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, um, and we still
3: don't
0: really know. No.
3: <laughs> <laughs> do, do you find that as parents, when your child's
0: sick or uncomfortable, you will do... Anything? Oh, the songs them. that we've, the, the songs that we make up, the songs that I've got <laughs> up my sleeve. That there was a young girl named Luna Finnegan, and then I'm like dancing around the room to this like made up Irish tune that I've never heard before. Um, let's talk about breastfeeding. The yeah. benefit the benefit. I want to talk about the benefits of breastfeeding. Oh yeah. Um, and then I would like to touch on, you know, if you choose not to breastfeed, is that okay too? Yeah, of course. You know. Of of course, the
3: benefits of breastfeeding are huge, both for mum and for baby. But, and I'm going to say this before going further, it's not for everyone, and sometimes it's not possible for everyone. Even with the best intentions, some mums just can't make it work. And I think it it, it really depends. It's such a cultural thing, breastfeeding. It depends where you're from, where you grew up, and where you live now how likely you are to do it and also how successful you will be. And I remember when I did my six months of obs and gyne, and I loved working on the postnatal ward because I got lots of baby cuddles. But one thing that I always remember is the breastfeeding lady who used to come round and help everybody and support everyone, she'd look at the names on the board and she'd list all the African names and she would ask, is, is, that, is this woman first generation, second generation? And basically, if that woman had been born and grown up in Africa, and moved over here, she crossed them off the list. Wow. She didn't need to go and see them, um, which amazed me. Because culturally, they know exactly what to do. They just know what they're doing, because wow. they've grown up in communities where they've sat with the women, and they've observed breastfeeding. So it's just natural. They just know, instinctively, they just know what to do. And obviously, there are always the exceptions to the rule. But generally, those women just, yeah, just did it. Which, to somebody who has struggled and struggled and struggled and gone through pain and cracked nipples and all the rest of it. Yes. It yeah. <laughs> must, must sound like an absolute punch in the face. But I, um, but I think it's it's so cultural, breastfeeding. And I think we're at a tipping point, particularly in London, particularly among the more affluent women, where we're seeing some women who are so persistent and so motivated to breastfeed that it gets to the point where it's not working and they're reluctant to give the baby a bottle. And I've actually seen it with one of my friends where the baby was getting dehydrated, neither baby or mom had slept for more than 30 minutes continuously for several oh, days because wow. baby was hungry. And you know, actually, if it's not working, there are other things that are more important. You know, you bonding with your baby, your baby getting the nutrition, getting the sleep, those things are all important as well. So it's a great thing to try and do. And I would encourage every woman to try and do it but if it's just not right for you then it's not the end of the world
2: yeah so just give it a go I guess I really
0: what... wish that somebody had come into my room in the hospital and says or come onto the ward and said you know if it doesn't work for you that's absolutely fine I didn't get that I got breast is best you must breastfeed you must keep going at it and just keep on going and I remember that one particular midwife coming around and my nipples were bleeding cracked they were pussy and she was like just just go through the pain after the first five minutes of it it'll just ease out and it was like 40 minutes every single time I, oh, I fed wow. 40 minutes of excruciating agony
2: it's so interesting because we literally lived two streets away from each other and we gave birth in the same hospital but i had a completely different experience Ooh. i wasn't i was getting on okay with it for the first couple of days and then i reckon after about two to three weeks then the pain you know got mm. really bad and um they were really good they just said oh well why don't you do a bit of both you know introduce some formula um so i did and then eventually when i just stopped altogether, together there was there was, really wasn't any judgment, but also I don't know if it's because my mum was there like she, yes. do, she doesn't need to, she's fine, Georgia you don't need to you don't need to breastfeed, don't worry about it but um, so yeah, I sometimes use your family as well and the pressure and you know your partner and yeah. anyone you know, I, around you. But I think, you, you
3: know, it's, I can't sing the praises enough of breastfeeding, it is by far the best thing to do to protect your child from infections, from in- obesity at a later age um, and also the best thing you can do for yourself, but if you can't, you've got to, you know, at the end of the day, if it's making your life an absolute misery. But sometimes, you know, I guess the same, this might be true for you, Zoe. Are you grateful you did push through that pain barrier because in the end it worked
0: out? Um, Am I grateful? I'm just glad that I could do what I could do yeah um there wasn't any particular time limit that I had in my head. I just thought i'll know when I want to stop i 'll know when i 'll need to stop and that was when Luna wanted more milk, and I could only produce one ounce from one and four ounces from the other, and she was drinking sort of eight yeah <laughs> and that was it. That was it. I just was just you know it was a sad. I remember crying thinking right. You know, because it is a bit of a bereavement. You have to go, right, that's it. I'm giving that up yeah, now and I'm finishing yeah. that. But I'm I'm super proud of what my body did. And I kept my baby alive for 12 weeks. Yeah, it's so incredible. Which is amazing, isn't it? Do you need to do. Amazing.
3: And, yeah. the, and the most important bit is the colostrum. So the first breast milk, that's really important. And then if you can do it for the first few weeks, brilliant. If you can do it for the first few months, fantastic if you can do it up to six months well do you know what you deserve a medal um <laughs> and but it is actually recommended to breastfeed obviously start weaning at six months but to breastfeed up to two years and beyond if you want to but there are benefits for both mum and baby up to two years but I think very few women achieve that but yeah. that's the recommendations I if
2: mean you can, well, it's years. good honestly. to know it is good to know I mean I There's definitely wouldn't no. have been able to but
0: yeah. <laughs> be. um just one last question um because a lot of our, f- weirdly, well not weirdly because it makes total sense, getting pregnant as soon as you have the baby. Yeah. We're hearing more and more stories about people saying, I've just had the baby, didn't think that I was exclusively breastfeeding, didn't think, and then boom, I'm pregnant, can't lose the baby weight, well there's a baby in there. Yeah. <laughs> How fertile are we after after giving birth? It
3: can happen. Um, if you're exclusively breastfeeding and your periods haven't started again, it's unlikely but it still can happen. So I think 3 weeks as soon as 3 weeks after giving birth. Oh wow. I mean, who's having sex 3 weeks after giving birth? Not but. me. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> but it can but it can happen. So, you know, my advice on that is if you are certain that you don't want another baby straight away, get some contraception sorted as soon as possible. You heard it there. <laughs> <laughs> and there, speaking about contraception, there is a new form of contraception that is on your iPhone. It's an <gasps> algorithm. Um, it's called Natural Cycles. Um, oh, I've heard about this. Yeah, I've just I've just been making a documentary for Horizon on contraception about the pill. And you know, the pill is amazing. When you go back to the fifties when it was first introduced what an incredible thing you take a little tablet every day and you don't get pregnant but it doesn't suit everybody side effects and some women don't want to take it anymore and of course there are loads of other options but yeah this algorithm natural cycles it's on your phone you have a thermometer and it's got to go to two decimal places so it's a special thermometer you take your temperature every morning when you first wake up and it's actually as as long as you use it perfectly. It's as good as the pup, as good at the contraceptive pill at preventing pregnancy. Yeah. Wow, wow. What's, and the, what's
2: it called? Natural cycles And so you're not You're not taking anything So it's com- obviously Completely natural it's, it's Completely natural So it tells you Which days
3: You have to use cond- You have to use condoms On certain days So there'll be maybe Five days a month That it tells you You have to use Another form of contraception A barrier method But otherwise it's free it, you, you know You're safe to
2: And so they're the days That you can get pregnant on So if you did yes. want to get pregnant You can use it for Well that you can as well. use it For that as well So you can You can change the settings Of the app And you can use it To
3: increase your chances Of getting pregnant if that's what you want as well
0: yeah so, yeah. so we were doing this. This is. I'm revealing this for the first time. We were doing oh. the natural cycle thing, yeah, and I knew exactly where my ovulation days were because, obviously, the first time around I was, you know, we were working really hard to get pregnant, and I knew because I was peeing on sticks and doing all that stuff. So I knew that my two fertile days were these two, and we were just having sex freely around that. And then I got married in Ibiza in July, and all form of natural cycles <laughs> went out the window, and it was like that. Let's just do it every day, and that's why I'm pregnant.
3: Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so it does work. It does work. yeah So the rhythm. Method does work, um, but I think when you're without this algorithm, just using the rhythm method as you were, the the scope for human error, error. is so high because <laughs> yes. you have to do all different types of charting and what have you. If you do it properly, so it's quite exciting. I think that this is just where we're going with looking at the future of contraception, uh,
2: male contraception. We talked about, yeah, that'd be interesting. Would you,
3: would you trust your man
2: to take I his would pill? Because my would husband takes. 12 supplements every day and he never forgets right. so you know 13 would be fine but, yeah, but i know he is an exception your I husband
0: think. really wants to have another baby and you're not so keen so i don't know whether i would trust him or not zoe is yeah. an absolute joy to get you on the podcast oh, thank you so thanks much thanks for having you. me i loved it i could chat to you all day oh, thanks so. thank you
2: So that was a great chat with Zoe.
0: Yeah, she's amazing, isn't she? I wish
2: she was my GP. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So, as always, let's talk about our five favourite products. My first one is the Cowpole plugin. I will tell anyone that will listen how good this is. I don't go anywhere without it. So this
0: is just something that you, you pop into the wall if Axel's got a cough or
2: a cold. Yeah, and it just helps them breathe. You go in you know, you know, go in their nursery the next morning, and it absolutely stinks. It's a nice but, smell. Yeah, but no wonder they can breathe because it is really, really good. Just cover up the night with some uh, sellotape tape or whatever it is. <laughs> Blackout tape. tape. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: <laughs> um so I really want to talk about first aid courses because I think it's absolutely key to do one. Um, you know, we, we, we had, I was, I've spoken about it, it was such a, a lucky experience with doing a first aid course and then obviously going for a seizure. So any parents sitting there thinking, oh, look, I don't know what I'd do if my, if my child started choking or if it started having a fit. You have got to do one of these courses. Yeah. And they're, they're, you know, they're all over the UK. You can even get private ones. You know, they'll come to your house and do it there. So, yeah, yeah. well worth doing.
2: Daisy First Aid. Yeah, they're the ones one. that we used. Yeah, to check out. Um ambisole teething. Oh. Teething is a nightmare. And ambisol it seems to be for me, I don't know about you, the only thing that works. It stinks. Like, it must be like pure alcohol or something. But it really works. It numbs their gums. It, it, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, you, you
0: basically just put a bit on your finger and then yeah. you rub it round the gum. And, you know, we've both used Bongella on both of our kids. Doesn't touch the sides. No. Ambusol's amazing. And also, put a bit on their gum. A little bit on yours. <laughs> <laughs> if it's got alcohol in it, come on. Drink um, bottle. So um So, an in-ear thermometer. Also, just an essential piece of kit to have at home. Really, really quick. You know, what you don't want to be doing is shoving one of those ones that goes under the armpit and your baby's yeah, wriggling around. Work. It doesn't work properly. So, in the ear, we've got the Tommy Tippy one at home and it's brilliant.
2: I'm off to buy one of those because I haven't got... One and yeah. I do. I really wish I'd bought one earlier, actually. Worth the investment, yeah. And finally, as kids always have coughs, colds, snuffles, um, you'd absolutely need a saline spray. I mean, you know, a really good one, don't you? Yeah,
0: we've tried every single one on the market <laughs> for Luna, um, but Sterimar do this really amazing new baby one, and it's just fantastic because it works at any angle. So you can have baby lying on their back and you can still use it because it's a horrible thing to do to actually have to put something up the nose and spray, they hate it, but really good, good to decongest them. Um, so that is it for us from this week thank you so much for listening if you did like what you heard today uh, remember you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast Um, you can also follow us um, at Made By Mamas on Instagram and mine at Zoe Hardman and um,
2: yeah we've really enjoyed it this week it's been great and as always all of the products will be listed on our website see you next week